right, well, uh, I just got the message that we are live. Uh, I just got a notification on my phone because I signed up uh, to get notified when we went live with today's webinar. Uh, I'll just do a brief introduction of myself. My name is Evan. I work at Stride and I'm going to be hosting the For the Love of Running series that we have going for at least this week for the foreseeable future. We're trying to bring more content uh, for just about, um, you know, for the love of running. Today, I'm joined by Olympic coach Bobby McGee. Bobby, thank you so much for taking time out of your morning and joining us. Do you want to give us a brief introduction about yourself and just uh, tell us a little bit about who you are before we start to talk about today's topic? Sure, sure. No problems. Hello, everybody. I hope everybody's keeping safe in these uh, difficult and challenging times. Uh, my name is Bobby McGee. Uh, actually, this is my 41st year of coaching. I'm sure I look at two, but um, I started off in uh, middle distance coaching as a high school coach and then moved on to long distance coaching, uh, coached marathon runners and road runners for many years. Uh, I had some success at the, Olymp at the Olympic level with, with, with athletes, so that was very gratifying. And then in about 2002, started specializing more in terms of triathlon and mostly working with the run and sports psychology in triathlon and doing a lot of work with USA Triathlon, and then, of course, also a lot of other federations working with some age groupers and so on. So luckily to have been involved in my job for four decades, still following the university training that I did to start with. And I think you're uh, being a bit humble, uh, too, because you were a very good athlete yourself as well. Um, so you have the expertise from being an athlete and then also coaching uh, great athletes and working with all these, uh, you know, different organizations and stuff. Um, today, we're going to be focusing on uh, triathlon training and run training during this uh, during this outbreak of time. So um, you put together a great presentation for us, and we're going to be uh, turning over the floor to you. People can watch this live and ask their questions in the uh, little sidebar, and we will answer the questions at the end of the presentation. Um, this will also be available in audio form and video form afterwards. So, uh, Bobby, without any further ado, I turn the uh, floor over to you, and I'm really excited to see this great presentation that you have. All right. Thanks, Evan. I'm looking forward to it myself, too. Um, kind of a unique situation uh, for, for all of us, obviously, and it was uh, actually fun uh, going through the processes of having a look at how this would impact uh, individuals practically. And I think the big question will be, uh, you know, we can all manage some sort of training, but how do we do training that uh, has us adaptable to whatever that goal race date might turn out to be at the moment? None of us know when, when our first race uh, will, will be plausible. So uh, let's go at it from, from, from that standpoint. Looking forward to that. So let's start with the good news first. Uh, what, a, what a situation like this does for us is it, it reduces our short-sightedness and, uh, you know, our, our sort of hysteria and our, our um, neuroses around we've got to get the training done, everything's got to be just perfect, you know, we have these idyllic conditions that that, that we are in, we are able to go to the local gym and, and access the pool, et cetera, et cetera. This moves us a little bit away from, from just our own little process and helps us to focus on what's really important, you know, so that, you know, you look at this fact that adversity offers opportunity for us 
to take a, a step back and to have a look at it all in context. So I think that that's definitely, uh, you know, some good news. Um, obviously, the information that we've been getting is that outside is still a good option. Uh, so, you know, ne never occurred to me, you know, when viewing pandemics from a theoretical standpoint that, um, you know, being outside is probably our best option in, a, in an isolated environment where we were on our own with or with very few people that we are around commonly. Um, so so that, that's always a good option. So if you live in more northern climes and your weather is not quite yet, there yet, uh, then obviously, uh, you know, the, the running often becomes possible outdoors, but sometimes if conditions are not conducive, just uh, be mindful on the bike with, with uh, your dressing options and your road surfaces, et cetera, et cetera. Another opportunity that arises is taking responsibility to plan your individual process. In other words, you now can be more focused on what is it that I have to do. I'm no, no longer necessarily reliant on a group or I'm going to pitch up at my training environment and there's going to be somebody there to tell me what to do. I'm going to have to be a little bit more proactive. And, and those of us, myself included, that are not necessarily always that well organized need to take a step back and, and just get a little bit more organized to get the most out of our days and the opportunities that we have. All right. So this this, you know, level of clarity and urgency uh, can make good things happen. And then, of course, when you have these uh, these times, you know, you can be more creative. Uh, you can start on a new thing. Suddenly, you know, there's not that urgency about you know, a race coming up in the next 30 days that, you know, causes you to be really, really fixed on don't change things up. Let's not introduce too much change in this last build up to the race. We now have an opportunity to be more creative, um, approach things a little differently with it, with our coach in terms of filling in gaps and, and, and working on, on aspects of our fitness and our skill level that are not uh, typically at the forefront of our minds when we have a race close by. And then lastly, a renewed focus from the need to replace what might have become quite rote and quite habituated. You know, humans are a little bit like cockroaches in as much as we become habituated and stuck on a plateau really, really quickly. And uh, we uh, a, an opportunity for a fresh stimulus is never a, a bad a bad thing. It, it really gives us an opportunity to jumpstart our fitness. So. Um, uh, or, you know, or move in a di direction that is a little different to what we're so used to. You know, if it's Thursday, it must be hills kind of thing. Now, suddenly, we have to be a little bit more creative, and that increases focus. And that's always a good thing in terms of adaptation and super compensation. All right, so let's start off with some thoughts on physiology. Um, here, of course, you want to look at yourself. Am I a long-distance athlete? Am I a middle-distance athlete? Middle distances, obviously, in running are very different to what middle distances are in triathlon. You know, we talk about in triathlon, short course being nowadays with the advent of the uh, relay in the Olympics, the super sprinters come into, into focus. Uh, and when the sprint distance is now the, the middle distance of those, of those short course races. And then we obviously have the Olympic distance with the 1500 meter swim, the 40K bike and the 10K run. But we're also now moving up to, you know, 70.3 being the long ones and, and Ironman obviously being, being the long races. And so something that, you know, has become more prominent of late is this realization that, you know, by definition, VO2 max would imply 
the maximum aerobic velocity that we could sustain or the maximum aerobic power that we could sustain on the bike or in the water, um, we now understand that fractions of this is what we require to race a, a triathlon of any distance. We obviously um, never really going to a full-on VO2 max effort, even in, a, even in a super sprint triathlon. But our VO2 max counts hugely, even in terms of uh, our Ironman capability, not in terms of the training to improve that VO2 max, but the percentage of that VO2 max that we use. So the old VO2 max training that we used to consider as the highest end aerobic training we could do is something that we now sort of look at, at uh, as VLA max. So VLA max is your ability to produce lactate and to a certain extent your ability to metabolize lactate. Whereas your VO2 max, the smaller, of, the, smaller the fraction is of your VO2 max that you can utilize, the less lactate you produce. All right, and that's actually a good thing for long course racing. So the first thing that comes up in these times is, is as soon as you go indoors, as soon as you go into isolation, as soon as you go into a limited time frame to train in, one tends towards exercising on the intensity side. And as soon as you start doing more intensity, all right, you now start increasing that VLA max number, which ultimately takes away from your economy, which is the third point here. All right. So you really want to consider that if you now start doing a whole lot of gym work, which will be really useful for you and you're doing some explosive stuff and so on, that is increasing your VLA max and might even be negatively impacting your VO2 max, which which that fractionalization, that economy component and using as little as possible of your VO2 max means you do need a big VO2 max but you need to train that with the duration and those lower intensity aerobic activities that you would do. So just realize that so often we come out of a winter and we actually have uh, you know, done the kind of training that has, has made us quite explosive and quite effective over the shorter distances, but might be negatively impacting our economy and our ability to go, go over the longer distances. So bear that in mind as you plan this period of time that you don't necessarily up the intensity levels um, across all of your workouts. Obviously, intense workouts peppered in when you need them make a huge difference, but uh, just consider that new distinction of uh, reducing the VLA max, increasing the VO2 max through doing more of the specific tempo and easier type, type activities. All right. So, you know, you still want to think of in terms of your target race is that especially in a half Ironman and an Ironman economy, in other words, the utilization of the least amount of oxygen to, to, to sustain the demands of competition that you are looking for is, is what we are looking for in terms of that, that training intensity. Now, remember, duration, duration makes fitness. And, you know, as soon as you move indoors or um, any of those kind of things, is duration gets um, gets impacted. It's 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 much easier to go on a three or a four hour ride if it's outdoors and the scenery is changing and the company is good and the geography is is alternating. Whereas when you you know having to be indoors, suddenly a ninety minute ride becomes a huge challenge. So just bear that in mind and always know that duration can be built at the right intensity through multiple bits of frequency. So in other words, 
you know, training sessions that are quite close to each other can be considered from a physiological standpoint as being one training session. Uh, we talk about four to six hours rest between two sessions to make them two separate sessions. So if you're doing some sort of uh, VASA trainer work, and we'll talk about that later, or some sort of stretch cord swimming simulation workout, all right, and you follow that immediately with, you know, with a, a 90-minute ride on the bike, those two um, conditioning sessions would count as one. So just just do your math and make sure that you you know you you realize that you can clump together workouts to make single workouts and, and increase the duration of those workouts. Obviously, specificity uh, becomes a challenge here. You know, again, we'll talk about this more on the bike. But if you are you know in your isolated training, tending to be you know, riding flat for long periods of time without changing your position, but you're preparing for a race that's quite hilly or quite uh, uh, technically challenging, you want to bring that in. Uh, so often in the past with, with my work with ITU athletes, they run on very flat courses. Let's say they run a 10K. It might be a 2.5K loop that they run with a 180 on each end of it. All right. So, uh, you know, it's going out at the door and, and practicing specific workouts on a rolling course that that is very different to that kind of course requires a little bit of foresight and and a little bit of simulation work with that with that kind of thing the 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 important point about periodization that i really want to bear in mind is the fact that we do not know when your target race will now be all right and that impacts the type of training that you do so, you know, any kind of lactate threshold work or any kind of, um, of VO2 max kind of work, that high intensity work, there's a limited time frame at which an individual can continue that work for consistently. You know, and that, that very often peaks out for the very best athletes at about six weeks. And most of the triathletes are probably doing only three, maybe four weeks of that continuously before they change the stimulus. So it's very easy to get stuck on a plateau with the intensity workouts, the lactate threshold type workouts. So it's important when you're thinking of periodization is to spread out those intense workouts a little bit more so that you're not actually going into a block of those kind of workouts, but that you are used to the intensity of those kind of workouts. And then at a later stage, you'll find okay, now I need less sessions at that intensity to get myself race sharp. But you don't want to get yourself stuck on the plateau because you have this pristine contained environment without any variability where you're going, all right, I'm going to go for the next 30 days. I'm going to be doing a lactate threshold workout every single week. Um, and you could get yourself stuck on a plateau. And then when you come out and everything's ready and you're getting ready to race, now you have to go into a little rest phase in order to stimulate that system again. So just bear that in mind as well. The beauty of the second last point that I have here is speed endurance work, which is 30 second work, has been shown in the research not to negatively impact over a long period of time. So this is the kind of work you can do all of the time and it's not going to be getting you stuck on a plateau. So just to understand speed endurance work, it's basically 30 seconds of intensity, whether that's in the water or whether that's on the bike or whether that's uh, on the run with maximal recovery. And that's typically at least two and a half minutes. Uh, in the research, they talk about four and a half minutes. 
but that's for athletes that are extremely well conditioned and would be able to dig so deeply during the 30 seconds that they require the full four and a half minutes. But the idea is, is a very, very low work to recovery ratio, or very high ratio actually. All right, so 30 seconds to two and a half to four and a half minutes, all right? And the other important thing to think about in speed endurance workouts is, is that you have to access at least 95% of your maximum 30-second capability. So let's say for you, you know, you've done a couple of little test runs on your trainer, you see that your maximum power on the bike for 30 seconds is X number, let's say that's 450 or 500 watts for, for argument's sake then you have to, in these 30-second repetitions, achieve at least 95% of that power for it to be an effective speed endurance workout. You still gain strength, you still gain skill, you still gain neuromuscular facilitation in a workout like that. You just don't gain that economy piece, which is what that 70.3 and Ironman athlete would get from a 30-second workout. In other words, it would improve the function of the potassium pump the speed of refurbishment of that potassium pump, and therefore the ability of the muscles to, op to operate at whatever that race intensity is for a, at a period where the, where the oxygen usage would be optimized and be at its lowest. So that's the value of those speed endurance workouts. So normally somewhere between six and 12 30 second repetitions governed by this ability to achieve at least 95% of your maximum 30-second ability, hence the long recovery. All right, so that was a, a longish description, but I think that this 30-second work is ideal in these times because, A, it doesn't, you can continue it for a longer period of time and you gain so much from, from those workouts. And then lastly, this is a time where you can work on skills acquisition across all three sports. You know, um, you can really spend some time with the second session, you know, being as short as, you know, 15 to 30 minutes where you just work on skills acquisition. And that is associated with some um, plyometric work, possibly some power work, possibly on the side. All of those are peripheral benefits. Um, in skills acquisition workouts. So, you know, really working on your on your stroke, um, you know, through doing bands, getting some video involved, that kind of thing. Uh, this is a good period for, for you to up that skills level as opposed to being so neurotically tied to the training because the race is around the corner. All right, so hopefully there's some questions at the end around this chapter, but this is a, um, a very important piece to consider. Yeah, we actually do have, um, before we go to the, the this next slide, we actually do have one question already, um, specifically about uh, LT work, LT type work, it's not a year long thing. Uh, that was one question we got in the uh, comments talking about the periodization uh, with uh, mentioning LT, week, LT work being a specific week length block. Can you talk just a little bit more about that and maybe how somebody starting now, we're almost uh, to April, maybe starting from April through the midsummer, how would they maybe structure a block that wouldn't be year-long LT work, but how would you give a sample periodization um, if you're focused on this type of training? That's, that's a good question. So again, um, LT type training is dependent on the race that you are specifically focusing on. So those lower intensities and the neuromuscular 
connection of those lower intensities would require you to be doing easier work and tempo type work. Now, I'm, I'm defining tempo work just to make it a little bit easier here at something around about 80 to 85 percent of lactate threshold. All right. So so that that would be tempo work. And, and remember, tempo work in that de uh, that definition is pretty much what they call the poor man's LT. A lot of athletes can go really, really long way just working at tempo intensity in terms of their central physiology makes make, makes a big difference. But again, uh, in, in a triathlete's life, you've got to remember that if you're working on a base development phase, the, you know, the old school high end marathon runners will tell you this is, is that their, their cardiovascular ability keeps improving um, at these lower intensities until they start doing more intense work like threshold work. Then that ability no longer improves as rapidly. It sort of goes into a hold phase and then these other intensities become more of a possibility. So, you know, you're thinking of a single sport there where you might do some base work as a cyclist or do some base work, which is low intensity stuff as a runner. And then towards the season, you start adding on these lactate threshold type workouts. But if you're a shorter course athlete, and this is more your bread and butter, it's important to distinguish between central physiology, all right, which is a finite development phase before you need to take a break. All right. So let's say you might plan um, three or four lactate threshold workouts over the next four to five weeks, all right, where you, you know, depending on your recovery rates, et cetera, et cetera, where you might put one of those in a week before you come back down and do, do some easier work again or maybe shift it up. So the idea with, with an, uh, a race that has an intensity of, you know, uh, has a duration of somewhere up to two hours, lactate threshold becomes very, very important in that race. And you might go, you know, four or five weeks before that race, you might build in, um, you know, uh, three or four uh, lactate threshold sessions on the bike. You might build in uh, the same amount uh, on the run. And obviously, you could do a little bit more in the pool. And then to bring that lactate threshold up a little bit, you would do a little bit more VO2 max work. You know, that high intensity work, maybe for a week or week and a half, where you might put in one or two sessions there, that'll just bolster that up. And then just before the race, you would come down again and you do some switching on workouts, which would be my, a third of a typical volume workout. Let's say you're doing 30 minutes in total of lactate threshold work on the run. You might do 15 minutes of lactate threshold work in that lead up to the race just to get those systems back on online again. But the other side of the equation is the part of the equation where you, especially in the run, you really want to get your legs a strong enough and capable enough and routinized enough at that intensity, all right? And that's a neuromuscular thing. So now where to get any kind of lactate threshold response, you probably want to do your minimum repetition length would be three minutes, but you could easily go and run at that peripheral intensity where your physiology wouldn't get up there, say for 30 seconds or 45 seconds or a minute or a minute and a half up to two minutes, where you could run at that intensity while your metabolic system is winding up, but it doesn't quite get onto a steady lactate threshold work rate. And so you can be doing that kind of work, but if you fractionalize it more, 
you can you can extend the duration with which you can do that kind of work. I hope that answers that question. I think it absolutely did. Yeah, I think it's great. All right, let's move on to a little bit more of the of the mental skills thing. Um, so Lawrence Olivia said it best when he said the only thing we have absolute control over is our attitude, and nothing is more relevant in these times than we can control our attitudes and we can you know, stay calm and stay focused and, and get what we need to get done to keep ourselves and our families safe. All right. So um, just in, in line of with, uh, with um, what my, one of my mentors in, in sports psychology taught me is this concept that mindfulness sits at the heart of, of the entire process. So just being aware of what you are thinking in these times, how your thinking has altered now that your race date has been move to a indefinable point you're not sure when next you're going to race and so on is just be aware of where your thinking goes and just keep bringing it back and saying look i'm going to do what i can do i'm going to control the controllables i'm going to get myself to a maintenance level i had a a good friend he was a miler in the 80s uh, and his name was ray wixel and uh, ray always said i never want to be more than four to six weeks away from sub four minute shape and that kind of mindset is never a bad mindset. This is what type of work do I need to be doing um, now that puts me in a position that should uh, things calm down and should race dates start showing back up on the calendar, I only need four to six weeks to get into really, really good shape. You know, um, we know that so many of, of you guys out there are, are lifetime trainers and you have this subsistence level of training. Uh, that that you are able to maintain and then just jump off that for short periods of time and uh, just being aware that you have that capability you have that that fitness and that general level of conditioning in the bank does take some pressure off but just be aware of your thinking and 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 uh, you know realize how that will impact how you go forward with your training at this point the next thing that works very, very effectively is, is, is just working really hard on accepting the situation. I have so many athletes uh, that are disappointed, but, you know, that key races where they've been selected and they've been, you know, they've qualified for those races, et cetera, et cetera, are now off the calendar. And there's obviously that period of time where you are upset about that and you go through that process of doing that. But the quicker you can accept that, the sooner your physiology will allow you to move forward with the, with the next part of the process. All right. And so that requires patience. I was down at a, at a training camp in Sarasota last week. And, uh, you know, we were the coaches and I were, we, we were working together to to prepare the athletes should their race be canceled, which it was in the end. So they did a, a four day camp and then. Uh, you know, at 1 a.m. in the morning of the day before the race, they got told, okay, the race is not on and everybody had to scramble to get back. So our work there was for them to start being patient with, with this process, realizing that and these were younger athletes in the, in the 15 to 18 range and having them realize that, you know, they, they, they're not in control of their destiny here, but they can control a whole lot of things. And the, and the, the conversation that came up was, what does it really mean when patience is its own reward? And, uh, you know, coming up with that concept that it feels really good if you are a patient individual 
and working on that because that's that's a skill that that can benefit us all, especially in the longer races. The next thing, and we've learned this from, from countless real specific tests, is, is the more objective we can be about our process, the more observational we can be, the, the more we can step back and literally view ourselves as a science experiment, the more effective we can be. As soon as we start adding you know, ego and judgments and concerns and anxiety to that process, the more we slow down our development process. So just really work on taking a breath, counting a couple of breaths and saying, look, am I am I making smart decisions here? Um, am I being reactive or am I really choosing to sit down, consider my options, consider what the likely scenarios might be, and then choose a new plan and prepare myself for that? I think that that's, that's a, a really good way to go. Also, if you are in isolation and you are in situations where you don't have some distractions and you're not able to get outdoors and so on, it's good to consider this whole concept of associative versus disassociative thinking. So as an example, associative thinking might be uh, sitting on the, on the trainer, really being aware of heart rate, really being aware of output, being aware of power, uh, being aware of, of, of your mechanics, of your level of comfort being aware of uh, what you need to do to get the best number out of yourself on the day, thinking about your hydration, thinking about your nutrition. That is all associative thinking. Disassociative thinking is, is, oh my goodness, I have to sit on this bike for hours and hours and hours. Let me see if I can think of something else, um, get myself away from this. But there are some caveats there. So if you're doing purely aerobic work, it's actually okay to maybe have something up on the iPad or or maybe have some headphones in listening to a podcast or some music, et cetera, et cetera. But remember, at times of when you're doing some intensity work, you have to practice that associative component that will be there when race day comes around. One of the things that people don't realize when you're doing work on a trailer, it's so easy to disassociate and people can then go out on the road after a particularly harsh winter and be going down a straight road and find themselves up against the curb because they're just so caught up in their own thinking that they're not paying attention to the environment. I think it was Natasha Badman who, in the middle of an Ironman on a straight road, ran into the cones and had a crash that took her out of the race, um, you know, on a, on a straight road. And that's just loss of focus on, on external awareness. So, you know, just uh, bear in mind that that's important. We also know that you access so much more power and so much more resources in your intense work if you think associatively with what you're doing. And that goes back to my first point of mindfulness. Becoming aware of while you're doing intensity work when your thoughts are drifting and you are having irrelevant thoughts and then just quietly corralling your, your thinking back to thinking about what you're doing and working on what you're doing. The next point is intensity management. All right, and just remember that in endurance sports, you know, in any specific race, there's a negative interest rate. There's no time that you can bank in endurance events. For every minute that you bank in the first half of a ride, you've got to pay back two and a half to five minutes at the last half of a ride if you exceed those, those parameters which, which your fitness and your conditioning and your capability indicate. So it's, it's really important to realize also that when you are in this closed environment and you've only got yourself to rely upon, 
and you know time is dragging that it's really easy to think okay let me just work a little bit harder so that i get a little bit more bang out of my buck because i just can't afford to sit here for this long it's just it's just killing me and in when you're doing that you get out of the intensity that you should be be in you know 85% of your work should basically be really comfortable work at least 85% of your work should be really easy stuff and if you now shift your intensity because of your changed environments and you start doing you know 50 60% of your work at a slightly higher intensity that's going to have a negative consequence on your overall fitness in the end and you're going to run into trouble so just just become aware of that the next thing that i think is important is is to realize that if you do now lose your normal environmental stimuli you know people around you friends uh, what you, whatever you were looking at in the gym uh, whatever the environment was at your local pool that you've been using um etc cetera, etc cetera, you might want to become consciously aware of changing things up if your environment suddenly becomes you know more poor in terms of of stimuli uh sights sounds uh sensations and make sure that you do some work on that you know maybe d- don't always point the bike trainer in the same direction maybe turn it around a little bit put the fan at a different angle etc etc just just change up that that environment so that so that the stimuli uh you know doesn't get to a point where you where you get stuck um some important tips there you know out of the research on that any questions there for us Evan on attitude i do not see any questions in the uh chat sent here from uh angus who's monitoring the youtube chat you can definitely uh put the questions in the uh sidebar but um the one thing i want to say about this just my um, sort of feelings, even if it's not necessarily as specific, like I don't do triathlons right now, like I'll bike to work sometimes or I'll swim as cross training. Um, I think that these points are extremely valuable from the mindset perspective. So um, I think I could run through a brick wall right now. Uh, just from hearing this sort of stuff, it's extremely motivating. I think people will get a lot of um, value out of it. But if you do have any specific questions, um, we can answer them at the end of uh, each slide if it pertains to that slide. And if it doesn't, um, we'll answer it uh, at the end, but definitely feel free to drop any questions. But um, yeah, no, totally uh, good to go forward with this next one. Okay, sounds good. Now, obviously, the tough one is if you do not have your own pool or an endless pool or something in your basement or a friend down in Florida who has a heated pool, et cetera, et cetera, you have no pool. Uh, and, you know, that puts most of us in the same boat. All right. Uh, a good friend of mine, Jared Evans uh, from Triathlon Gold, has uh, put up on his website some access to a, a dry land uh, workout, which is a um, uh, stretch cord based and some great ideas there. So if you just go to triathlongold.com, hit the contact page and then ask for the dry land stretch cord resource, uh, his team will send that out to you and that, that might prove very, very useful. Uh, there are a number of resources out there, um, and stretch cords are not hard to find. You can make your own. You can just go to the local hardware store and buy yourself a stretch cord if you don't have one. Um, but in any of those uh, kind of dry land workouts are, are what are going to become important here. And now, again, I bring up the point of intensity. You know, you might say, okay, I want to do a drill. Uh, I want to step back a bit. I want to increase the resistance on that on that stretch cord. That's good for a little bit of uh, conditioning, 
but don't lose your balance and especially don't lose your technique. So rather start off with really paying attention to getting the technique right. Have somebody video what you're doing, make sure that you've got that high elbow, uh, et cetera, et cetera, that your head's in the right position uh, before you start laying on the work with the stretch cords. Remember, this is more an opportunity to improve your skills in the water. Uh, and then if your technique is good, obviously, then you can you can load that up. Obviously, start thinking about a private pool. You know, sometimes there, you know, be, there'll be neighbors in a complex that might have a pool, et cetera, et cetera, and are not averse to you jumping in the pool with a bungee and attaching yourself to one of the, uh, you know, to the, the, the ladder, the, the railing on the ladder or something like that. If it's a, you know, if it's a 10-yard pool or something like that, doing some, some kind of work like that. But, but be creative in this time um, to see if you can, you know, both maintain and improve your swim spro. Remember, there's open water swimming options. Uh, you know, get the old wetsuit on and uh, get out into some open water bodies that are that are appropriate for you doing that. Again, uh, you know, the warning there is don't swim open water on your own. Either have somebody on the side, somebody in a boat, or be out there with a friend, um, you know, but uh, do some open water specific work. There's also some really... Uh, good little devices uh, online where you just drag a little buoy along with you and it has a life jacket in it and it has, you know, the things that you would need should you get into trouble out there. But open water swimming is important. Now, what's so important about open water swimming is most of us use our open water swimming venues to go out and translate our swimming into an open water swimming uh, setup. So in other words, you know, we, we raise the strike uh, stroke rate up a little bit, we start practicing our sighting real time. Uh, we practice uh, negotiating buoys, et cetera, et cetera. But in this kind of situation here, if you do have access to open water, it's important to get the old um, monitor out and start doing some rep work, doing some work for minutes, for 30 seconds, uh, basically trying to mimic a pool situation, obviously without the diving and the flip turns and that kind of thing. Although you can do open water flip turns, um, which is good power work, you know, doing a flip turn in the open water and then having to overcome inertia again, uh, which mimics very well being stood up around a buoy or something like that. Uh, but remember to distinguish with not only open water swimming practice, but also swim specific fitness work in the open water if you have that kind of environment. Uh, Vassar trainers are hard to come by. They're quite an expensive item too. But if you do have one or you do have a friend that have, has one, these are very good options that give you a power number and you can assess where, where you're at with the Vassar trainer. So um, look into those, see if you can get access to those. If you have one, then you're in a good spot. All right. And then, as I said right at the beginning, and it's worth, it bears uh, repeating is, is that it is very, very easy in a dry land situation to get caught up in a work mentality. Whereas remember, dry land is normally to support your swimming. Now it becomes a primary activity. So skill and using the correct technique is crucial. Take some load off in the beginning and make sure and check in over time. You know, that's the beauty of swimming in a pool. You can hold your stroke for 25 yards or for 50 meters. All right, and then you get a reset as you do a flip turn on the wall. Don't get caught in, in, in that situation where you're doing minutes and minutes and minutes of work uh, at the you know, incorrect technique um, when you're using these dry land devices. 
All right, so manage your duration based on intensity. So again, the same question that I had with the running, don't try and up the intensity of a specific workout where the purpose of the workout was supposed to be duration. Just because you feel like you have limited time, you want to try and do a little bit more work. That's a classic beginner mistake. So if you're going to go out and you're going to you know, do some work and you're going to mimic the kind of work you would be doing in the pool, make sure you mimic the intensity as well, not only the interval setup. All right. Now, remember, frequency makes skill and duration makes fitness. All right. And uh, especially in a highly skill driven sport like swimming. All right. You're much better off doing multiple sessions with some breaks in between. If you're working on your skill, you do have some fitness uh, accumulation, some strength accumulation, maybe not as much aerobic conditioning accumulation as what you get, but you get some localized muscle endurance. You get your lats and your deltoids and your pecs and your biceps really nicely conditioned in this environment. But, but really be aware that frequency will improve your skill. And then if you do want to maintain some of that fitness, it's lower intensity, less resistance, and then build up to, to some longer intervals, always checking in with your form, maybe even setting a timer, you know, every 30 seconds to a minute, just reassess your form, just make sure that, that you've got that elbow high and that forearm in, in, the, in the right position and uh, that you're doing the necessary kind of rotation that, that you would do in the water. And, and it always helps to have, you know, a, a skilled pe a set of eyes on that. So maybe sending some video off to, to your coach or, or to your swim coach uh, just to keep reassessing what you're doing. VO2 kinetics is a very useful activity in these times, but remember it does fall prey to, you can't be doing VO2 two kinetics week in and week out, all right? But it does fall prey to that limited period of time. But it is also moving at your, you know, four to six minute max intensity effort, all right, which prepares you for the up and down nature of an open swim versus a pool swim, all right. So you're basically doing um, 20 to 30 seconds worth of work at your six minute intensity, all right, and then doing it at half that intensity for the same period of time. So you might do 20 seconds at your vo2 max stroke rate and your vo2 max intensity and then taking a 30 second break at half that intensity before repeating that again all right so that's that's a, a good thing to do when you start realizing okay it's likely that you know the race will be in you know five or six weeks time but just this kind of workout where you move working at that intensity with a with a one-to-one -one ratio in in the break is is never a, a bad option to do when you don't when you're not constricted by the the lengths of the pool to do that and as i said previously the speed endurance type work the 30 seconds on this would be very useful for you too you a stretch cord where you're working at that very high intensity this is most easily done on a vasa trainer if you don't have a pool is, a, is another option to look at then in terms of your mental skills, it's never a bad idea to go online, look at the swim course that you're expecting to race in your next race, visualize yourself completing that swim, look at the start, look at the type of water, look how, uh, you know, if that's it's going to be rough water, are there currents involved, is an ocean swim, and just do some visualization work. Visualization will improve your confidence because you'll get a pre-sense of what to expect in that swim. 
even speaking to some friends on the phone about their experience in that race if you haven't done that race before getting as much information as you can and and studying that course and, and using other modalities to get a sense of what to expect on race day can often reduce the the pre-race anxiety and make you much more efficient and economical on race day and this last point is so important most of that us that don't come from a specific swim background could always do with increasing our specific swim range of motion so just working on the ability to get those shoulders back to get those scapulas as close as possible to each other at the back really making sure that we have the range of motion that allows us to perform the swim stroke that we know is theoretically best for us there's a number of swimmers that just cannot get into that position that may, would make them a more effective swimmer because they lack the range of motion. And now is the time to be able to go and work on that range of motion until you have, you know, a, an increased capacity to get into that ideal position to get the most out of your strength and your fitness in the water. All right, Evan, anybody got some swim questions there? Awesome. Yeah, I, uh, I, I don't see any posted right now, but uh, if people right. do please uh, remember you had to drop them in the chat. And then um, if people are following up uh, this as well, because we'll be posting this on our channel, we'll be releasing it as a uh, audio clip. People can always feel free to uh, ask questions in our community. Um, and then I, I guess plugging uh, your side really quick as well, is there anywhere that if people have specific questions for you, where's the best place to uh, find, find you and, and ask any questions they might have? Yeah, I think at this point in time, maybe just send send me a note on Instagram or something like that. That would be good. But you can also get a question uh, to me at, at Bobby at BobbyMcGee.com. Very simple. Awesome. Cool. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm now ready to swim through a brick wall as well as run through a brick wall. So um, now I guess is the last component for, for biking. Yep, yep, absolutely. Let's go on, on to the bike. Uh, obviously, there's multiple trainer options out there. Um, you know, I, I don't work for any of those uh, companies, but it would seem that the, the device of choice at the moment is definitely the Wahoo Kicker works uh, really, really well. Um, but uh, do remember, you know, the shorter the distance you race at, uh, if you're doing draft legal and so on, uh, don't get trapped into just looking at the numbers and just focusing on uh, get, getting that fitness up, you know, you've got to work on on getting your skills up. You know, you might even be in an environment where you can ride outdoors, which would be perfect. But also remember, if you if there's still some lingering winter in your area, uh, never never underestimate the value of a of a parking lot or a, a parking garage where you can get onto one of the floors. Just ride it slowly, check out the surface, keep working on your skills, uh, and then also, you know, in this day and age of technology and so on, uh, the old set of rollers is often negated, but your your ability to escalate your skills learning on a set of rollers is amazing. Now, obviously, roller has some, um, has some, some components where people, you know, need to learn. It's a pretty steep learning curve, so there'll be some oopsies in between. So if you've never used rollers before, you know, have somebody around to be able to help you. Uh, and another way to, to learn how to ride on the rollers is to stick the rollers in a door frame so you have the frame close at hand to to save you should so, something go wrong. But your, your pedal mechanics, your uh, balance, your skill level, your economy, 
all of those things are massively accelerated on on the routers to just learn to to use those if if at all possible even if you uh only do you know uh time trial type racing long course type racing uh you know get the old uh racing bike out and st stick it on those rollers you will get amazing benefits from that and then also it's a little easier on you posturally you know so uh just just like uh, non-motorized treadmills you get a lot of bang for your buck uh on uh, on the rollers because uh uh, you can't spend hours and hours on the rollers. It's 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 quite fatiguing. So it's a it's a really good option. And then obviously those of you that are in climates where you can ride outdoors, um, you know this is an ideal option. Again, you know the uh, our 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 you know health resources, government options are that you know we should be outdoors. It's uh, it's the safest environment to do so. Get out there if you can, and if you're you're a little up further north, then then bundle up. All right, uh, and and get out there and, and just continue your bike training as normal. I think probably uh, the bike and the run are probably less impacted, clearly less impacted than the swim. All right, but do remember if you are training indoors, uh, remember to train for specific courses. There's so many options now where you can either automatically uh, increase the resistance. Um, you know, there's there's even trainers now where you can get out of the saddle and the bike will respond more naturally and go left to right. Uh, but do do make sure that you are preparing for specific type of courses too. So load up the course that you intend to ride and occasionally go out and ride on that course. You know, so you're working on skills, you're working on fitness, but you're also working on um, uh, you're also working on uh, the specifics of that course, the specific demands of that course. And we'll speak about it a little later, uh, but there's also opportunities when you're training at home to acclimate yourself to a specific type of course if where you are does not have the same kind of weather and the same kind of uh, uh, conditions that you are going to expect on your on your race day should that come up. When you do get to do uh, a lot of indoor riding, you tend to get stuck in the same position for a long time. They're not the nuances of the road surface changing and, uh, you know, the geography going slightly up, slightly down, sometimes more pedal pressure, sometimes long seated climbs, sometimes short climbs where you're getting out of the saddle. So it's, it's important to realize if you get stuck in the same position, that will get to you posturally. So it's important to get off the bike if you've done one of those prolonged sessions sitting in a very similar position to do some post-bike work, especially as a triathlete. Uh, you know, just do some heel walks, get your hips forward, uh, maybe a little bit of rope jumping, uh, a little bit of quick feet, um, that kind of thing so that you just get used to the running motion, maybe doing some range of motion stuff, especially for your low back and for your hips because you've been sitting in that kind of situation. Leg swings are a great option to do after you've got off the bike. Just remember, if you have been on the bike for a long time, you just got to start these off kind of cautiously and kind of conservatively because everything has shortened up into that bike posture. So just start opening things up a little bit. All right. Um, next thing is is ideal opportunity again when when you're not so concerned about your balance. If you are on a trainer and so on, you can work on pedal mechanics, um, some low intensity. Uh, um, single-legged drills, you know, just just working on your mechanics uh, is, is not a bad idea. Just having a mirror up in front of you, look at what your knees are doing. You guys have these instructions when you've done your bike fit of where your knee should be. 
look at your posture, look at your aerodynamic posture. All of these things are things you can work on. If you can't get into the postures that you were previously capable of getting into, look at your range of motion and, and keep working on those. Um, next point is an interesting point. We've, we've had some success with athletes. A uh, good friend of mine, Scott Fliegelman, who coached uh, uh, beginner Ironman athletes, uh, had really good sense when I introduced the uh, walk-run method to them. Uh, he brought that walk-run method to them on the bike. So instead of saying in race power mode uh, for hours and hours and hours um, while you practice those longer um, type of race efforts, he would build in the same kind of thing. They might ride at race watch for, say, nine minutes, and then for a minute just back off a little bit, just relax, um, just uh, get up on the hoods, stretch out the back a little bit, have a drink, and then drop back into that into that tuck position again. And just breaking it up for you know a minute, thirty seconds every ten minutes or so is is never a bad way to help you sustain those those watts at, at the later stage, and then also to be posturally less fatigued from having to hold a position for hours and hours and hours. Obviously, the pros are doing a lot more training and they are a lot more resistant to holding that kind of pressure. But even even the greatest protagonists have, have realized that, you know, in an Ironman 70.3 type situation, you might have to sacrifice a little bit of aero in order to be able to still run afterwards. And that that's that's the key basis that for this is, is get an optimal performance out of yourself on the bike, but still be able to run afterwards. And obviously, if you do have the kind of situation where you can set up a trainer next to a treadmill, you can be doing some brick workouts and and do and practicing that kind of thing. All right. Um, and then the last point there, it's easiest on the bike to stay zone specific in these kind of things. So, you know, again, don't don't push things if you have limited time, increase the frequency, et cetera, et cetera. But, but stay specific to the training intensities that are going to give you the best race performance on the day. All right, Evan, how's that looking? Yeah, I think that's absolutely fantastic. Um, very, very helpful for people um, wanting to learn a little bit more about just strategies they might not have thought of previously for their bike-specific stuff. Um, it looks like this uh, next one is all about uh, the, the running portion of it. I don't think we had any questions from the uh, YouTube side at least um, for, for the stream for the biking. So absolutely go ahead um, with this next portion for running. Absolutely. So, you know, as Evan mentioned, these are just stimulating your thinking, hopefully mentioning some things that you haven't considered so that you can adjust. This is definitely not a cry for redesigning your entire approach, uh, but whatever you're doing, hopefully this gives you some, some added input and some added ideas on, on how to go about your training. All right, so in terms of the run, again, the same thing is, is I find when when runners come to the sport of triathlon, uh, they're obviously going to run a whole lot less. And when they run a whole lot less, they feel like, okay, because I'm running less, I need to up my intensity. But it's actually the opposite way around, you know, because you now have the, the swim and you have the bike that continue building the same cardiovascular system, the same set of lungs, the same heart, the same oxygen delivery system, all of that is the same. And the bike and the run are, I mean, the bike and the swim are such low impact options to do that. All right. So obviously your run will have 
percentage-wise to the amount of running you're doing will have more opportunities for intensity, all right, but you still need to have those easy runs and the overall picture across the swim, bike, and run still has to be there at a high 80, you know, 80 to 85% of your training being easy. So when you do go out for a run that is labeled easy, it needs to be easy, all right, and uh, not in that gray zone where nobody wins and, and you run out of out of options towards the end and, and you risk injury and you risk being getting stuck on a plateau, all right? So make sure that you manage that intensity of your running, all right? Uh, awareness of the social impact on running. Very often, you know, running being sort of the hardest of the three activities, uh, we've become reliant on our squad or our friends or the people that we meet up to go for a run. Maybe some of those options have been depleted. Uh, make sure that you find ways to keep it exciting and keep it interesting and keep it fun for you. Those of you that enjoy running on your own, well, you're in a good place. As a coach, I'm often saying some of my athletes need to do their easy runs and their long runs with company to slow them down. And some of my athletes need to do their quality works with, with friends. So in other words, keep them honest and keep them working hard. So, you know, determine what kind of a person you are and, and utilize uh, and utilize that that distinction that you now have to be able to get the most out of uh, out of running within this new environment depending on how much this environment has changed for you all right another realization that I have very often over the years is, is that coaches do a good job of prescribing drills for their athletes and giving them opportunities to do dynamic mobility drills and to do their drills but the, the necessary intentionality and the purpose behind each drill and the focus on correct execution is sometimes something that goes missing. So make sure that you look at those resources and, and you know, make sure that you are executing something correctly. Remember those uh, rules of biomechanics are never trust what you feel, only trust the video. So, you know, have somebody videoing you and then having a look at what you're actually doing versus what you think you're doing. All right, and then the other one is if you are trying to create a correction through drills, remember you need to exaggerate that motion. It can't be a tiny, subtle little motion because ultimately that won't replace the incorrect motion that you might be might be following. So bring some intentionality around your drills. Now's your opportunity to get some video in there and, and work on doing those drills in a correct fashion. Also be aware of the intensity trap when focus is heightened. So sometimes when you clean up an environment and there's not a lot of distractions and there's not a lot of noise, you can unconsciously move up that intensity, especially in your easier workouts. I remember in the sports psychology section, I spoke about it's okay to do disassociative things while you are doing endurance work, especially that zone one and zone two work. There's nothing wrong with listening to some tunes or, or, or you know, giving yourself something else to do while you're doing that endurance work. All right. And don't get caught up with, oh, it's boring here. I'm just going to push myself and invent. I do it all the time. I get on the treadmill in my garage and, you know, I've got to do an hour's worth of work. And I'm going, oh, I'm going to make this interesting. I'm going to up the elevation to 5%. And I'm just going to, you know, try and hold pace for that, you know, for two minutes. And in the end up by doing a quality workout on a day where I should have been doing an easier workout. So that, that's, that's a critical piece right there. All right. So limit the time, time frames with certain intensities. You know, don't get stuck on the same intensity 
Because remember, most of us do running and most of us do triathlon uh, because we enjoy the process. It's not only because we want to get fit, because we are preparing for races, because we want to perform. We do it because it's who we are. We love the process. So that's why we are successful at it. We like to do it. We don't like to miss sessions, not because we're worried that it's going to impact our race performance ultimately, but it's because it makes us feel better. All right. So uh, it's important to for us to realize that uh, we don't get stuck in, in a road situation, that we keep stimulating what we're doing. Uh, and that sometimes means going down in intensity, not just always going up. All right, so, so keep it interesting, as I said, in, in, in the bike sessions as well. All right, and so when we do long course, duration is what's important, all right? But we are losing some duration, and it's really dry land work. We can work on our skills in the water, and we work on our strength and our stability and our power. But it's really hard to find a modality where we can practice swimming without being in the water. And so now we are losing a little bit of that endurance component that the water provides with us. Uh, so it might mean finding a way to increase the duration a little bit on the swim, I mean, on the bike and on the run. And never underestimate the value of going on a long hike and introducing hiking on varied terrain and long climbs and stuff like that. That provides a tremendous both peripheral and cardiovascular stimulus to our endurance. So, so you can maybe change that up a bit, especially if you have that, that limitation to your normal ability to get in the pool for X, X amount of hours in a week. Awesome. And uh, going on a long hike will probably get you some good photos that you can post on your Instagram and then your friends are all... Uh, excited that you're posting cool pictures too. Um, we do have one question about the running, uh, specifically about the drills. Uh, yep. Kev asks, how often do you recommend doing drills? I try to do mobility type strength training most days, but I only do drills before faster workouts. And I think maybe a definition here of what you're talking about from a uh, quote unquote drills uh, definition might also be helpful for people because um, you know some people toss around a definition of what they consider a tempo run or a threshold or drills or strength training. So um, I think your specific definition of drills in this context and then how often you recommend doing them uh, would be a helpful answer to this question. Perfect. That's a great question. Thanks, Kev. Um, what we have uh, is a consideration of why are we doing any of these activities to help us be better swimmers, be better riders, and be better runners, and be better triathletes, ultimately. So you want to look at the end goal of doing those. And at its very lowest level, drills are something that change our focus and help us to relax and access our best ability in whatever the, those three sports are. So specifically with running, very often dynamic mobility drills, not only do they play a recruitment and a facilitatory role, all right, but they also play a relaxation, a coordination, all right, and a rhythm role with us. So I try to distinguish just from a straight up mechanical standpoint that dynamic mobility drills are there to facilitate and recruit, as I said, all right, but also to allow us the most effective range of motion 
for running. And I'm talking about optimal range of motion, not maximal range of motion. All right. So once we've done drills, we should theoretically be able to measure our oxygen consumption without having done the dynamic mobility drills. And then once we have done them, our oxygen consumption at the same intensity should have gone down because we have better seeded that, that motion of running. Now, dynamic mobility drills typically done before quality workouts, but I've started using them for some time now, actually, after doing a long ride and restoring that range of motion, as I spoke about. And then some of those drills, doing them after a swim session. For example, in a swim session, you have a lot of plantar flexion going on and you need to be able to plantar flex very effectively to swim effectively. But running is exactly the opposite. You need a lot of dorsiflexion to be an effective runner. So you need to get out of the water and do some dorsiflexion type drills to restore that range of motion that you are capable of which is what you're going to get required to run. We know from research that each sport, especially from a postural functional uh, standpoint, negatively impacts the next sport. So obviously, if you do a swim before a run or before a ride, you've done a good job of priming yourself in the water, and that will help you on, on, on the bike. But you've also lost some some movements and the more you allow your body to change from one sport to the other consistently the higher the likelihood that the period of time where your most efficient movement is impaired by the previous sport is reduced to the shortest possible time so everybody's kinematics in other words the way that they run is impaired after the bike ride it just depends for how long for some people it's for the entire run all right, but the shorter you can get that period, the sooner you become economical, the more effectively you'll be able to run. So drills after that are drills that teach specific movements. For example, trying to get your shin as vertical as possible when your foot contacts the ground um, is something that makes you most economical and, and reduces the amount of breaking to an optimal level. That is promoted, for example, by the drill of a skip. So if you're an individual that constantly sees in slow motion video that you're putting your foot down and your shin is leaning backwards, your shank is leaning backwards, you're putting on the brakes. So you're the kind of person that would go out and say, okay, I'm going to be doing a series of a skip drills at various times. And then the video should be able to confirm is, wow, look at my shank angle. It is getting closer and closer to vertical. These drills are helping me. So those are drills that specifically address specific issues. So drilling in running is the best way to go. You really don't want to try and change a movement pattern in running. You, you want to do a drill that addresses that organically as opposed to saying, well, I want you to get your foot down on the ground sooner. That will lead to you being uneconomical, probably lead to you being injured, and, and, and probably negatively impact your run. Awesome. Yeah, I had uh, one tiny little follow-up question. This could maybe um, be a just couple word uh, reply. If, let's say, all of a sudden I find myself working from home and I'm sitting uh, in a different environment and I just need something for general mobility, what would be one go-to sort of motion or exercise 
exercise that you might recommend that I could do, um, you know, maybe once every hour just to stand up and do some range of motion activity? What would just be a overall general health sort of uh, motion that you might recommend? Wow, that's a lot easier question to answer <laughs> than than uh, than one might think. I would get up, I would grab a broom, and I would do an overhead squat. <laughs> All right, and try and get that broom as high up as possible, get my elbows as straight as I can possibly get them, lift my chin up, spread my feet a little wider than 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 hip width, and I would try and squat down, keeping my heels on the ground and keeping that broomstick right above my shoulders and see if I could get all the way down and all the way up, maybe do three, four of those and then get back to work. That's about as full body activity as you could possibly do. Awesome. Great. Yeah. Um, I will go get my uh, broom. I see it right here in the corner. So as soon as we're done with this, I'll do um, a couple of those squats. Uh, we had one question. We're going to save it for the end because it's a very, um, very uh, good general summary question to kind of tie everything together. But um, you may absolutely proceed uh, if you have another slide after this one. Yeah, I've got a quick transition slide and then we'll just do a closing slide. All right. So in terms of transitions, you know, depending on what level you are at in the sport, um, again, you know, having a bit of quiet time, being stuck at home, now's your, now's your time to practice getting your helmet on, practicing your nutrition, practicing, you know, all sorts of little things that are involved in transition. Obviously, uh, draft legal short course racing would, would benefit the most from this. But, uh, you know, just going through your routine, even your 70.3 Ironman routine is, is watch first, practicing how you do that, how do you mount, how do you dismount, working on those, and, and specifically looking at the conditions. You know, do you have a, a transition that's very lengthy? Do you have a very short transition? Do you have a dismount line that's in a challenging position? Just just using your visualization skills and then just practically pulling out your bike and pulling out your shoes and pulling out your helmet and setting them all up like you like you like to have them and then just going through that routine and, and really making that automatic is, is so important. And never forget that these become rituals. These routines become rituals and rituals are very comfortable de-stressing, anxiety-free environments. The more skilled you are, the better. You want to get to a point where this dance of triathlon is something you love to do as opposed to something that stresses you out. And that comes through repetition. Comfort comes through repetition. All right, so just moving on to some final thoughts is it's also a time for you to practice nutrition, practice hydration. Uh, you can much more easily adjust your climate to match the, the, the upcoming events that you have. All right, remember, acclimation coming from a cooler, drier climate to a humid, hot climate only takes about two to three weeks of overdressing um, and you know, getting, in, you know, getting into, the, into the washroom and turning on the dryer on high and, and things like that. Those, those are, one can develop protocols and, you know, uh, to prepare yourself for that. And this is some opportunity to do that. And then finally, just ground yourself in the reality of your situation and make the best of, uh, of it as, as well as you can. Really see it as an opportunity, as an enjoyable challenge, uh, you know, to be a person that lives in an environment that you are still able to train. You're not in an environment where where it is so bad that you're having to take care of people and so on and so forth. So just a 
general attitude of gratefulness that we can still be having these kind of conversations and getting out there and still doing what we love is, is a great starting point as well. So thanks, everybody. Happy to answer some questions, as I said. Uh, but uh, always uh, uh, an honor to be able to provide some ideas for you guys. Awesome. Yeah, I, I, I certainly think people that watch live will find this very valuable. But then um, the people listening to the podcast that we clip out of this, uh, as well as people watching a replay, um, will find it extremely helpful. We have this one uh, last question from Mark. He says, as a relatively new triathlete and focusing time on swimming in two to three opportunities to run per week, what type of runs should I plan each week? And how do the stride power zones play into that? So um, obviously, uh, we, we have our own uh, sort of zone description, but maybe um, you could back back it up and uh, talk just a little bit about maybe the basic structure for a relatively new triathlete. What two to three opportunities to run per week would you really kind of focus on um, maybe in this type of uh, situation that we're facing? Maybe people are relegated a little bit more indoors, but maybe they still have access to um, their normal outside running routine and two to three opportunities to run per week. And how could you use a zone-based training plan for that? Yeah, great, great question, Mark. Thank you for that. So with three runs and understanding that you have the endurance options on the swim and the bike, you, you get an opportunity, especially if you are a lifetime runner and you came to the sport from running, is this realization that, you know, uh, you don't need to do a long run, for example, every week. So the first thing I do is I would periodize that. I wouldn't do the same three runs week in and week out. I would possibly go to a tempo type run situation one week for your longer session. You know, so you might do something like five by 10 minutes uh, at, at your tempo watch in, in that run. And as I said, that's typically around about 85% of what your LT watts might be, all right? And then I would, uh, the next week, replace that with, with a longer run, all right? At, the, at, at more your, your intensity, your intensity factor one and two, so your lower end watts, I would do that. And then I might have one of those runs per week just be uh, just a plain nuts and bolts endurance run in that sort of zone two kind of range, zone one, two kind of range, where you're trying to change it up. It's it's your dirt run or it's your trail run or it's it's up and down and the emphasis is more just on, on being out there and a kind of endurance run, all right? And then one of those runs a week being, depending on where you are relative to the race, being your quality workout. So that might be uh, you know, if you have, if you're already doing the tempo run, then those runs might be in the in the VO2 max watts range or the LT range. And remember, your your LT range is typically for for most uh, triathletes and runners is your bread and butter range. You know, and so a, a type of workout you might do there might be something like starting off with five by four minutes with a, a 90 seconds recovery um, and instead of thinking about what intensity you're doing at it, shorten the rest down so that it ends up being basically 20 minutes worth of work. And then over time, grow that up. I probably wouldn't get higher than say six by five minutes in, in a build like that, where you're doing six by five minutes, maybe with a two minute recovery. And 
you are trying to achieve your your lactate threshold watts in in that so that that would be a way to go go about that but remember again before you start doing those lactate thresholds or those vo2 max workouts you want to be sure that you are um you know in in a time frame that is you know getting closer to a race and then the last bit of information i would give you there is, is never let a week go by without at least one session of doing some strides but keep those strides alactic in other words under nine seconds with a good minute's recovery in between and that's basically just an acceleration run up to your maximum comfort comfort level at speed that's always a good neuromuscular maintenance workout and uh, a speed development workout so that might be a good idea to do that in your at the end of your easy run day your, your mid-run day all right uh so that, you know, maybe four to six of those at the most, you might, you know, get to a nice smooth bit of dirt or a bit of a soccer field or something like that. You pick up the pace. I like to have my athletes count steps, maybe do 16 steps, counting the left or the right foot, and then do a slow walk back to where you started and then repeat, you know, another three or four times. Awesome. Uh Great sound advice. Uh, I really, really am appreciative uh, for you taking the time this morning. I'm sure everybody that watched this live and will be listening to uh, this later is really, really appreciative. Um, I, for one, found it extremely valuable uh, the beginning section to practice the mindfulness. Um, you know, everybody is kind of thrown into this chaos. It's a different uh, thing than a normal routine. But I really, really find the uh, wise words about embracing mindfulness and kind of uh, thinking through things is a great thing that we can practice right now. Um, can you plug one more time if people want to learn more about you, where they can find you, more information? Yeah, so um, www.bobbymcgee.com will you know, give you some access there. And as I said, uh, bobby at bobbymcgee.com, answer some questions. And then I'm probably most prolific uh on instagram and mm -hmm. that at bobby mcgee running awesome cool thank you so much uh, that's it for all the questions i am told uh and uh, i we will be back uh, a little bit later this week with another webinar thanks so much to everybody for tuning in this has been the uh, second edition of for the love of running uh from stride thanks again bobby uh we'll be back uh, next time with more content yeah happy st patty's day everybody and everybody stay stay healthy and stay safe thank you absolutely Thank you.